My name is uh, Eric McPherson. I'm the new direct, executive director of Christian Family Services. I want you to know that I love my job. I love the people I work with. Uh, I love the people that support us, and uh, I love the people we serve. I'm very fortunate to be where I'm at. So we're going to talk a little bit this morning about CFS. We're going to talk a lot of it, hopefully, about Jesus. I don't want this to just be a commercial about CFS. Uh, number one, uh, I'm also a proud dad that my daughter Marissa got up and read scripture today. That is not an easy thing. Uh, the first time I got up and read scripture at my Christian high school during chapel, uh, I started violently shaking and uh, did not finish the verse, and then everybody made fun of me for the rest of the day. So that was cool. Um, it's not an easy thing if you've never gotten up in front of people. It's a frightening thing to get up and, and do that. So I appreciate Marissa and any of our teens that get up to do this for the first time. It's frightening, and they do it anyway. So uh, we're going to go through some things about CFS. We're going to talk about Jesus, but I'm really glad to be here with you today. Uh, I want to say that that video, I didn't do that. Uh, I don't have that kind of talent. Dalton Masterson, if you know him, McKaylee's husband, did all the videos and pictures, and then I've got a really good friend in Nashville. He's my college, he was my college roommate. Uh, he was the voice on the video, but he runs a company called Advent Services, and they do all kinds of videos for um, pro sports teams. So he's worked with Jerry Jones and the Cowboys. They're doing UF, uh, FC Barcelona right now, Seattle Seahawks, LA Rams. Uh, they, all the college sports team, if there's a college team out there, he's done their in-house marketing. Uh, they're a great company, and they did that stuff for us for free. So I'm really grateful uh, that he was able to help us put together four videos to explain kind of what we do. So, on December 9th, 1972, there were four guys that got together in December to discuss the Lord's work in St. Louis regarding families and child care. In 1973, fundraising dinner was held with 281 people in attendance, and they raised $5,350. Doesn't sound like much today, but that was a lot back then. They provided a seed, and that seed has become a much larger tree of services that has evolved into what we are today. We're going to talk a little bit about that. As the scripture that was read, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's the smallest of all seeds on earth, yet when it's planted, it grows into a large tree, providing shade and nests. And what they did that night through one simple conversation was plant a seed. And look what happened. I mean, you never know what's going to come about because of just a conversation. I don't think those four men could have envisioned that 50 years later, we would be doing all the things that we're doing now. And a tree provides shade without judgment of anyone who receives it. The tree never asks the person receiving the shade where they're from, what they've done, what they believe, who they love, what their past was like, how much money they make. The tree doesn't care. The tree just provides shade. And at CFS, that's what we try to do. We try to provide shade without judgment. Now, before I get into this next slide, you'll see a lovely picture up there. Oh, no, there we go. Sorry, my slides aren't connected to those slides, so I have to wait a little bit. Uh, ben Kelly did that painting. Ben, raise your hand back there. Come on, put it up. There he is. Everybody turn around, look at Ben. A uh, little commercial for Ben. He does good work. I love it. If you go to his website, sometimes Ben paints, because sometimes Ben paints. Uh, he does great work. I love his trees. And I said, hey, could you do a painting for our 50th anniversary? 
And in the painting put the verse from Romans, if the root is holy, so are the branches. Because I think that describes what we try to do at CFS. There are many that have no one. There are some people in St. Louis, they don't have family. They don't have parents. They don't have siblings. They don't have friends to call to get a jump for their car, to help move an apartment, to watch the kids for an hour while they go to the doctor. I mean, I've always grown up with so much support, I didn't know what to do with it. I went to a church of 800 people, the Geyer Springs Church of Christ. I went to a Christian school. I had my own extended family. I had friends. I mean, there was about a thousand people I could call on for any one thing I needed in my life. We experience this here at McKnight. We've got so much support and community and family that we don't even realize how lucky we are. There are people in St. Louis that have a no one. I mean, no one. And that's why they call us. And we try to be the root, the grounding for their life so that they can have a better experience. They're, they're part of our branches, but we are the roots. We are the support system for them for that time. In Mark 4, this kind of describes the experience of CFS over the 50 years. This is what the kingdom of God is like. You could substitute, this is what McKnight Crossings is like. This is what Christian Family Services is like. This is what Neatez is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. That's a good description of my job as the executive director. I don't always know how all this stuff works, but for 50 years it has. All by itself, the soil produces the grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. For 50 years, McKnight, CFS, Neotes for 60 years, has operated. And God has provided the growth. We don't always know what we're doing. I, I asked Steve a lot of questions because Steve was the executive director for 15 years. And sometimes his answer was, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how some of this works. And boy, do I feel that now. I don't know how we always have money coming in, but we do. Because we're not, we don't sell something. We don't produce widgets and then sell the widgets. We just provide services that hardly anybody pays for. And so we rely on church support and individual donations. We don't work with the state. We don't get a lot of grants. And yet somehow for 50 years we have survived. And I don't know how that happened. But I do know who made that happen. And that's all I need to know. So here's a little commercial about CFS. There's our building in Webster Groves. We were started in 1973. It's a cute little house with a third floor up at the very tippy top. That's where we put the social workers because it's too hot up there for me to tolerate. Plus the air is thin. So we make them walk all the way up to the third floor. Uh, it was the first house in that area in Webster Groves. And of course, Webster Groves has kind of grown up all around it. Here's an average year by numbers, just to let you know kind of what we do. Uh, 589, 589 childcare days, 4,000 counseling sessions, 28 total pregnancy support clients, 11 foster homes, 40 children in care, 47 adoptive follow-up sessions. But here's what we do over the 50 years. 74,000 childcare days, 68,000 counseling sessions, five, over 500 pregnancy support clients, over 2,000 children that we've cared for, and over 300 adoptions in our 50 years. That's a lot of impact. And that impact was made possible because of you, because of your donations, because of the way that you volunteer. 
Here's our staff. Oh, look at that, I'm wearing the same shirt. Isn't that cute? <laughs> I also noticed I was wearing the same shirt in the video. <laughs> Apparently, I have a favorite shirt. Uh, by the way, thanks to our actors. I don't know if you noticed the Kellys were in there. They weren't really getting therapy. They came and showed up and volunteered one day. Nathan really wasn't coming for therapy that day. I appreciate Nathan being in that. So I appreciate the people that, that all made that video happen. But we got uh, to my right, whatever, Jody Mitchell uh, used to go here. She's our director of finance and social services. Carla Rupke now does our insurance. Alec in the back trained her. Alec, raise your hand. He used to be our insurance specialist for 15 years. And he trained her and he approves of her. So that's important. Then we got Mary Ennis, a good friend of mine who's our office manager. We got Megan Westjohn, who's our uh, adoption social worker. Uh, Miki Lau Young, who came back to us after a break. She's now our Sela Living social worker. Taylor Hilburn, who is our new uh, pregnancy support social worker. Then Sarah Gentry, many of you know her. She grew up here at this church. Her parents uh, used to go here. Her dad was an elder here for a number of years. And she is now our program advisor and therapist. We got Lisa Randolph, who is one of our part-time therapists. Ooh, here we go to the, there we go. Sally Blackburn is a part-time therapist, Jeff Fabiano. And you might recognize that old guy over here on the right. He's still hanging around as our, listen to this term, director emeritus. <laughs> we don't know what it means, but it sounds really good. And he's the first one ever. So congratulations. He does part-time counseling, and he's kind of working on some of our planned giving side of CFS that we've never really explored that much. So uh, Steve, we're glad to have him still around. All right. McKnight over the years has been intricately involved in CFS. So let's, let's do a little show of hands. I'm not going to ask you to stand up because I personally, when I'm sitting out there and somebody says stand up, I hate it. So I don't mind raising a hand. I don't want to stand up. Okay. Who has ever worked at CFS? Raise your hand. One, two, three. Anybody else? That I, all right. Sue Stevens was a social worker for 150 years or something. I don't know. It was a long time. Uh, who has ever been a foster family at CFS? Oh my, look at that. And Ben, you could raise your hand because your parents were a foster family, right? So we have people who were kids of people who were foster families. Who served on the CFS board? Mike, put up your hand. No, put them up. Gerald, come on. Here we go. Get up there. All right. Oh, there we go. Cool. Uh, all right, this one is a, this question's a plant. I kind of know who's going to raise their hand and I kind of, force this situation. Who's been adopted by CFS? Oh, Carrie, I didn't know that. Oh, surprising. <laughs> Carrie was adopted through CFS many years ago, and then when I was the, here's a little history for you, when I was the youth minister here in 1990 to 94, she started coming and hanging out with youth group, like you kids, right? And she was one of the best kids to be around. She was bubbly, she was funny, she was always happy, she was exciting to be around. Uh, she was very encouraging. And so she was one of my favorite kids. Now we're in a small group together, right? And then now her son, Nathan, is the youth minister here at McKnight. Do you see how deep the roots go? And they're everywhere. They're everywhere. I'm, I'm just telling you a couple of stories. I'm sure everybody here has stories about the impact of CFS or how they were connected. Now, uh, if you've ever turned in a Timothy can, gone to a golf tournament, uh, gone to a trivia night, uh, done anything connected at all with CFS, raise your hand. Look at that. McKnight 
has been the largest and the biggest supporter of CFS over the years. And it's not just money, it's prayers, it's volunteer hours, um, it's turning in Timothy cans, it's bringing diapers. One day, Mindy, on the spur of a moment, uh, we had a mom that needed bedding, and within an hour, she went to Target and brought us three bedding sets. Come on, an hour? Come on, Mindy. What, do you have anything else to do during the day? How did that happen? You have two kids. I don't know how that happened. It is little connections like that that have made us successful over the years. Here's our new mission statement as of a couple of years ago. We strive to love, serve, empower, and connect children and families and individuals within our St. Louis community. Here's our services, and then we're going to get back to Jesus in just a second, so hang on. We provide connect care, temporary foster care, anywhere from two weeks to about three months-ish, uh, and it's mainly small children. Uh, we don't have a foster home. We don't work with the state. We have licensed individual families throughout the area that love Jesus and they love children and they bring them into their homes. And then our goal is to reunite the children and the mom. Because again, many have no one. So if you're a mom and you've got to go to drug rehab and you've got three kids and you don't have any family, what do you do? If you're a mom and you just got to move apartments and you've got two kids and you don't have anybody, what do you do? And so that's when we step in to fill the gap with our temporary foster care. We do maternity support. If you are young mother and you have no support and you're single and you don't know what to do and you don't know who to call, you might call us. We do adoptions and home studies. Our SALA living program was started by Steve right before he abandoned us uh, or slash retired, whatever you want to call it. And we are most excited about this program. Steve had a great vision for this because many of the moms we were working with were choosing to parent, which is the best thing, right? The bio mom parenting the baby is always the first choice. But then they didn't have the resources. They didn't have a place to go. And so Steve created, uh, with our workers, he created the Sale of Living program where we take these moms and we adopt them. And we put them in an apartment that they choose. And then we pay for it for about a year, year and a half, two years, whatever the contract says. And we have a social worker go out and meet with them every two weeks to go over things like thermostats, cleaning, budgeting, childcare, parenting skills. Because again, many people didn't grow up with an angry dad who would yell about the thermostat and tell you to turn it down or turn it up, depending on the cost, right? So we have to go out and educate on things that you wouldn't necessarily think you would need to educate on. Obviously, we provide professional counseling. Um, and we also do seminars. Here's why we do what we do. I think you know this answer. It's Jesus. According to John Ortberg, in his book, The... Uh, inexplicable impact of the incredible Jesus. I may have gotten those adjectives wrong. I probably did. But he talks about all the things that have come out of the teachings of Jesus. Orphanages, hospitals, art, education. Almost everything we enjoy is a good thing nowadays in our modern society was because of the teachings of Jesus. And so why do we do what we do at CFS? It's simply because we think this is what Jesus might do. How do we do what we do? And this is where I hope we can talk about some lessons for us today instead of it just being a commercial about CFS. We offer hope. According to Morgan Freeman and Shawshank Redemption, hope is the best thing, right? We help our clients believe that almost anything could be possible. In John 6, uh, Peter says a really good thing that 
pretty much explains my faith because in the beginning, Jesus was like super cool. He was like healing people and feeding 5,000 people. He was a rock star. Every town he went to, multitudes, crowds of people came out to see him. Then he started saying weird stuff like I'm gonna die and I'm gonna come back and you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood and carry your cross and deny yourself and that wasn't the cool stuff. So people started to leave him. So he turned to his closest disciples and gave them an out. And he said, do you wanna leave me too? Like I get it, <laughs> the things are getting hard and if you want out, you can get out now. And Peter said, Lord, where are we gonna go? You have the words of eternal life. You give us hope. Nobody else gives us hope. Because I imagine that they would want to leave him because this was weird. They left their jobs and their careers and their homes and their families to follow this guy and now things are getting difficult. And I hear Peter going, oh yeah, you're a weirdo and we'd like to leave you, but we got nowhere to go. No one else tells us the things you tell us. No one else gives us hope. You're the only one that speaks hope to us. That's what we try to speak to our clients. We try to remember that our God is a strange God. He is a very strange God. God is never going to appear to me in a form that I understand. He's never going to show up to me as a 57-year-old white guy with an amazing wife. He's not, because that I understand. That I get. That's my life. He's always going to come to me in a form that I don't get. And I tell you, in today's world, there's more things that, as an old guy, I don't understand, but I need to give grace to. He's never going to come to me in a form that I get. He's always going to come to me as a stranger. Hebrews 13 says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. This is the verse that kind of sticks in my mind when I'm checking out at Walmart. Sometimes that can be frustrating. This is the verse that sticks in my mind when I'm not getting the services because I'm an impatient person as quick as I want them. If I have to wait in line, if I have to wait on somebody, my kids know how impatient I get. And I try to remember that this person might need somebody to be kind to them because I don't know who I'm talking to. I do know I'm talking to somebody that's not just flesh and blood. I'm talking to somebody that has a soul. We try to remember at CFS that these strangers that come to us might just be God in another form. We're gentle. At least we try to be. Isaiah 42 says, a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. People don't come to us because things are great. People come to us because things are hard. And sometimes they come at the end of the rope. And if we're not gentle, we just might snuff them out. We don't want to do that. Jesus, at the moment of our deepest sorrow does not break us off. He's been there. That's what he experienced in the garden. By the way, I love the story of him rolling around in the garden. Uh, as a mental health therapist, if I'd come upon Jesus rolling around in the dirt, talking to himself, sweating drops of blood, I would have said, hey, buddy, <laughs> let's, uh, let's get you up, maybe get you to a hospital, let's get you an IV, we're gonna get you a therapist, maybe some group therapy, maybe some medication. Everything's gonna be okay. I love that he was a complete psychological mess rolling around on the ground because I can do that too. I can be a mess too. That, look, by the way, he got up and did the right thing. <laughs> he got up and showed courage, but he was human enough to show us that it's okay to be broken and you can still survive. You can be okay. And he's been there where we're at in our moments 
of brokenness and sorrow, he is gentle with us. Hopefully we help people believe that everything can be different. There's an amazing story in John chapter 11 where uh, he had three really good friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And those friends had some high expectations of Jesus because Lazarus got sick. So they sent word to Jesus to come and heal him. And they had pretty high expectations because, you know, Jesus healed people he didn't know. So I can hear Mary telling Martha, Martha, it's going to be okay. Don't worry. He's going to show up. Like he heals people he doesn't know he's going to come. And he doesn't come. And then he showed up two days late. Didn't even go to the funeral. So by the time Jesus shows up, they're angry. They're angry. They're not okay with it. They're disappointed. Their expectations were pretty high and Jesus did not meet their expectations. So the most amazing part of the story is not that Jesus raised a guy from the dead. I mean, that's pretty incredible. The most amazing part of the story is that when they came up to Jesus and poked him in the chest and said, hey, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't be dead, jerk. He wept with them. He completely disagreed with their perspective. And he wept with them anyway. How many times do we let our perspectives get in the way? I don't agree with you, so I'm not going to weep with you. Right? I don't understand what you did, so I'm not going to weep with you. But scripture says to rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those that weep. It never asked us to agree. So a young man lost his life in Ferguson eight years ago, I think it was, Michael Brown. And you can have all kinds of thoughts about the role of police and what anybody coulda, shoulda, woulda. But for a moment, can we weep? Just a moment. We can get back to the arguments later because some of those are valuable arguments. But for a moment, can we weep? Now, I grew up in a fellowship that said that uh, playing the lottery was wrong. I've only played one time in my life on my birthday. I didn't win anything, so there we go. Wasted a dollar. But if I had played the lottery and won a billion dollars, my parents would have been mad at me. You shouldn't have played the lottery. I, I know, but I won a billion dollars. Can we just clap for me for a second, right? But so many times because we don't agree, we don't rejoice, and we don't weep. Jesus never asked us to agree. He just said, do it. A tree provides shade without judgment. One of the best lines in this story, it depends on what version you read, but after Lazarus comes out of the tomb, you know, often when Jesus did a miracle, people were shocked. He had to remind the parents of the little girl he raised from the dead to get her something to eat because she might be hungry. Apparently death makes you hungry. So when she got up, he was like, hey, you might want to get her something to eat. When Lazarus came out of the tomb, which I'm sure was shocking to people, it would have been shocking to me, I wouldn't have even understood what's going on, he had to remind them, hey, can somebody help him get his grave clothes off? Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Because how awkward was it for Lazarus to come out of the tomb and you're still wrapped up and you still can't see and you still don't even know what's happening? Somebody needs to help him. At CFS, that's what we try to do. We try to help people take off the grave clothes of their past life and to move on into a prosperous future. We plant seeds, hopefully. Like, I never know what I'm doing in counseling. <laughs> and it may not be shocking to you that I don't know what I'm doing, but I never know what I'm counseling for. I never know if I'm counseling for the present or for the future. Because sometimes things don't get better. Sometimes we hold people's hands while things get worse. I worked with a young teenage boy that um, he got sick and died. He had a disease so rare they named it after him. We knew that wasn't going to get better. As much as he believed in Jesus, he couldn't be healed from that disease. 
but we could be there and we could make sure that he wasn't alone. And then maybe I'm counseling for the future because now we're connected to the family and we're helping them through some things. Sometimes I work with a marriage and the marriage doesn't work out. And then later, one of the spouses will come back and we'll start counseling over again. So I never know if I'm counseling for now or I'm planting a seed for the future. We're planting seeds with our maternity clients. Uh, we're planting seeds with our foster kids. We're planting seeds with our Salem living clients. We never know what's going to sprout and grow. It's just our job to plant seeds and let God do his work. I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians. It's kind of a long scripture, so I couldn't put it on a slide. This describes what we hope happens through our services at CFS. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 9. As it is written, he scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, and God's righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed, will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. The service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but it's overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. And for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else, and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. What I think that scripture is saying is that the services we provide are gonna cause people to praise God on some level. That doesn't mean necessarily that they'll come to our church and have a faith experience like, the, like us, but something is gonna sprout from the seed that we plant and God's gonna give that growth and God's in charge of that, not us. Every seed that we plant Every person must be buried and die before the harvest. Jesus, the greatest example of all of this, was crucified, buried, and dead, but we're still talking about him 2,000 years later? Do you know how crazy that is, that there are millions of people meeting all over the world right now to talk about the sacrifice and the resurrection 2,000 years ago? And we as followers, we've got to die to ourselves. And we all go, yeah, we should die to ourselves. What does that practically mean? How do we do that? I don't know, I, this doesn't capture everything, but here's some thoughts, here's what I try to do. I think we've got to die to our opinions. So many times we think our opinions are truth. All I know is that God has truth and I don't. I have a perspective, I'm working in the shadows, I don't know everything. And my beliefs have certainly changed from a young man that grew up in Arkansas. Uh, if you had showed me a picture of me now to my 18 year old self, I would have thought something went drastically wrong and my life had gone off the rails. But things have gotten better, and I'm not the same person I used to be. And I hope in 30 years I can say the same thing. If you'd showed me a picture of my 87-year-old self, my 57-year-old self would have never believed it. Because I hope I keep growing and learning and changing. Somebody didn't like that comment back there. We have to die to our ego and our pride. This one's a hard one. Uh, I hear the word so much now. I hear the word deserve so much in today's society. I deserve better. I deserve this. I didn't deserve that. And frankly, I go, I, I don't know 
what I deserve. I don't. We have to die to our ego and our pride. We have to die to our desires, our biases, our control. How many people are so controlling? And I don't mean that in a bad way. We all want to control our environment, but sometimes we have to die to that. We have to die to our discomfort and meet these strangers where they're at. We have to die to our disappointments and our old thoughts. We need to continually put new wine into new wineskins to challenge our old paradigms and to think new thoughts because the world is always changing. I don't like that, but that's the way it is. And we are in, I feel like we're in a speed round right now where there's so many things changing so quickly, I can't keep up. I can't keep up with all the terms and all the new things and I feel so out of place sometimes. But we've got to constantly challenge ourselves. Jesus said, whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. It's these paradoxes of Jesus that don't seem to make sense, but gosh, they work really well. He says, you know, if you're first, you're last, and if you're last, you're first. And according to Ricky Bobby, you know, second place is the first loser, right? Anybody get the Ricky Bobby reference at Talladega? A couple of, thank you very much. You get, thank you, Brian. Uh, if you haven't watched Ricky Bobby, Talladega Nights is probably America's greatest cinematic uh, production of um, movies ever. And it kind of captures in a comical way what we think about life. We've got to be first. And so Jesus comes along and says, hey, if you're first, you're last. If you're last, you're first. If you save your life, you lose it. You lose it. You save it. We all go, yeah, Jesus. I don't understand what that means. In more practical terms, if I try to win the fight with my wife, what's going to happen? I'm going to lose the fight with my wife. If I try to lose the fight with my wife, I, I win more than I could ever imagine. If I try to save my life, I'm going to lose it. There was a great moment in the, I've talked about this before, so I'm sorry for you that I've heard this story before, apologize. But uh, the Marvel movies, 32 movies. Um, Doctor Strange is not in my top 10 of those 32. And probably most of you have never seen Doctor Strange, and that's okay. Um, my favorite moment in all the Marvel series occurs in Doctor Strange when he gets these new superpowers, but he's not yet a superhero and doesn't know what to do with these new superpowers. He's the mystical, magical spell guy, if that makes any sense to anybody. And he doesn't know what to do with it yet. There's a conversation he has with this uh, mystical old bald chick. I'm not even sure what her name is because I'm not that into it. But she says, you finally learned the greatest lesson in life, that it's not about you. That's when he becomes a superhero. It's not when he gets his power. It's when he learns that his gifts and his power aren't about him. It's about what you can contribute to the world. You want to die to yourself, you'll get so much more back because when you serve, I, I do it selfishly. I'm a selfish person. And when I serve people, guess who I feel better? I, I hope it helps the people I serve, but selfishly, my mood improves. If you lose your life, you save your life. To wrap up, real quick, what do we need? This is such a generous, so I, I, this is my standard CFS speech, so I almost feel bad saying this to you guys because so many of you not only give to this church we give, which gives to us, but you give to us individually. We've gotten so much support from Magnite, but we always need more because the more money we have, the more money we help. We just don't stockpile the money. We don't give out employee large stock dividends. We're not that kind of company, right? So that money doesn't go in a bank. Well, I mean, it does temporarily, but then it goes out to serve people. Our board continually says, we've got to push this money out. We've got to give it to people. And we do that by hiring staff. We do that by paying for things because we never turn anybody away based on ability to pay. We never tell somebody they can't get therapy because they don't have any money. 
That seems so unchristlike. So we do free therapy. We pay for things for these young moms. And that costs money. So we need support. 85% of every dollar goes directly to client services. That doesn't mean it goes directly to the client, but it goes to a worker who works directly with that person. So 85% of every dollar given goes direct services to our clients. If you haven't heard about it, uh, you can talk to Steve afterwards since he's our director emeritus about the uh, Pregnancy Resource Center tax credit. It's a great savings vehicle for you and it has really benefited us over the years. Most importantly, next Sunday, if you're not doing anything, we got a great event happening to celebrate our 50 years of existence at Brookdale Farms from noon to four. We're providing a free lunch, <laughs> free lunch. Uh, we hope you come out and join us and maybe give a little donation. If you don't just want to come out and learn about CFS, that's okay too. If you're coming to lunch, let us know. Sign up on the website. If you're just coming afterwards to uh, do the bounce house or the hayride or to steal some s'mores or to sit around and talk to people, cool. You just show up. You don't have to tell us that. Just come on out. It's in Eureka, Missouri. It's a short drive. It's not that far. We'll have signs, uh, signs with the balloons so you'll know where to go. But that's next Sunday. We're really excited about that. That's replacing our old annual dinner that we used to do at the Plaza Frontenac until the pandemic ruined it all. And then we did virtual uh, evenings for the next three years. So we're kind of trying something new. It's going to be a fall festival field. There's actually going to be cornhole out there. So if you want to come play cornhole and try to beat me, which I'm not that good at it, so you probably have a good chance of winning. Last thing. What we try to do at CFS, we're trying to prepare for the next 50 years. We've had a good run. We want it to continue. And I would love for 2073, I probably won't be there, but in 2073, I'd love for this church to still be talking about CFS and have another 100-year celebration. A society grows great when old men plant trees in whose shade they shall never sit. That's what we're trying to do.